Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today, we are not actually going to talk about something We are going to talk to someone. What? This week, we are starting a new series from time to time where we will interview a biblical scholar, a thinker, a leader within a ministry of God. And this week is no exception for our inaugural interview. We are joined by Marty Solomon of Baymaw Discipleship and Impact Campus Ministries. Marty, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. I didn't... No, I was going to be the inaugural guest. I love that. I'm very honored. And you should be. (laughs) This is a... (laughs) All right, maybe not really. But you know what? It's a big deal for us. Hey, uh, Samuel, I think for the most part, is going to kind of be walking us through this interview. But I was going to take just a few minutes here uh, with you, Marty, right off the top. I think there's a chance. There's a lot of people listening. They just don't know who you are. And so we're going to run through just a little bit of your history, not spend too much time on it, because we really want to focus on who you are and who you are now. But let's do this. You know, we, we listen to your podcast, Bama Discipleship. We've got a little group we do, and, and we hear little tidbits about who you are, what you do. One of the things that I'm interested in, you, you've talked about it a few times, that you actually were raised in a, a like a fundamentalist, evangelical kind of background, which doesn't seem to fit really well with who and where you are today. So what was that all about? Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, I'll try to give you the quicker version. Um, yeah. I Yeah, my father comes from a very um, strict LDS home. Uh, my paternal side is all very Mormon. And he was one gotcha. of two people in the last four generations that aren't very strict observant LDS. So by the time I was born, I was raised in that fundamentalist evangelical upbringing. Now, because of my dad's LDS heritage, we had access to our family's genealogy. And I had done a project or two in junior high and high school, looking back on where we had come from and who we were. I knew we had Jewish heritage, um, kind of more in passing than any, I just, I had run across it a couple times, um, and knew, knew about that, but was kind of raised in that typical evangelical, well, Jesus came. So it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, like who cares? Um, And it wasn't until I kind of went through my own academic journey and got into learning about the New Testament, picked up new perspective on Paul, kind of learned from my own teachers and went, and, and, and even then I still didn't connect it to my own story until quite a bit later. And then one of my teachers named Ray, he connected the dots for me one day and just said, you know, I know what you teach your students. And one day. They're going to look at you and say, if that's what you believe, why don't you eat kosher? And you just need to know what you're going to tell them. And so I went home and had a really awkward conversation with my wife. And uh, we spent the <laughs> next bet. year just kind of thinking of praying about it, studying it. And then we decided that that was what we felt like God was calling us to do, was to kind of reclaim that Jewish heritage and live in a way that was most aligned with what we understood the scriptures to be teaching us. So that that's the quick, that's the dirty, quick version of that story. But yeah. Yeah, it almost sounds like maybe you've been asked that question before. I have, and there's a longer version, but I didn't give that one to you, that's for sure. No, that's okay. That That's exactly the kind of thing we were looking for. Now, currently, all of that sort of leads up to 
you're currently the president, and make sure I got this right, of Impact Campus Ministries. Yeah? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Give us... Just give us some some information background on that so people can can center sure. and relate to you. Yeah, uh, when I went to Bible college, I started pastoring a church. Uh, I spent the next let's see, seven, eleven, about eleven years pastoring, just in the general, you know, evangelical, non denominational, even reformed um, church world, oh, pastoring my. churches. Yeah, I went from one end of the theological spectrum to the other. <laughs> uh, I was at home in both, or not at home in either, however you want to look at it. Yeah, yeah. and um, and then. After one of my trips to Israel, I came back with this really passionate uh, conviction that I wanted to experiment with a more rabbinical approach to discipleship. I didn't have some cultic belief that you this was something we had to do. It was just this thing that I was like, I feel like that would work today. Yeah. I, I don't know why we're not doing what Jesus was doing. I want to do more of that. Um, and I, I tried to plant churches. God consistently kept shutting doors with that. And I had been, Impact Campus Ministries had been bugging me for about seven years. Will you come come do campus ministry? I was like, I do not want to do youth group for big kids. That is not what I'm interested in doing. Right, right. And uh, it dawned on me one day that, uh, you know, I was kind of praying to God. I was like, God, I need I need a group of disciples who are, they need to be adults because they need to be out from underneath their parents, but they need to not have like mortgages and marriages and three kids and careers like they need yeah. to have this sense of autonomy yet flexibility, and it it dawned on me that it was campus ministry. So I went back to Impact and I said, "Okay, uh, convince me I could raise funds, and I I'll consider this campus ministry gig." I did that for about four or five years um, up in northern Idaho, and then they asked me to fill in when the president resigned. Uh, asked me to oh. step in and fill in that role. So I've been doing that now for six years, give or take. So. Yeah, I've been doing that. It's been fun. So the real motivation getting you into that was discipleship. Absolutely. It so, was the right demographic. I, I was not your typical, like, I didn't have a heart for campus. I kind of snuck in the back door of campus ministry, didn't tell anybody. And and what I was really trying to do was find the right demographic of people to make disciples with and felt like that was the one for me. And and then then ended up getting a love for campus and campus ministry and campus culture, but I kind of did it backwards. So that was my story. Well, demographically, that seems so, so smart, especially in in today's American culture, all that kind of thing. So how's the discipleship part working out? I mean, what, what does it look like from your perspective? Yeah, so I really poured into it for the first, for those years that I was what I call on the field, um, kind of on campus, that was my approach to campus ministry. And it grew, and it was amazing. And when I say grew, I don't mean like numerically. Like I asked God for one disciple. I said, I just need one. I don't need 12. You did 12. I could probably handle one. Give me one disciple. And he did, and it was the most meaningful ministry that I had done to that point to date. And still to this day, it's still the most meaningful. You know, got 100,000 people listening to a podcast that still doesn't touch what 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 we experienced with with discipleship from there i got about three more disciples and then a wave of seven and then they asked me to serve as president and just the practical like discipleship for me meant coming and doing life together with me so showing up at my house at 5 a.m and eating breakfast and doing disciplines together and going to meetings and then going to class and then eating lunch and then coming with me and then hanging out in the evenings and watching my family and my marriage and it meant doing life as closely together as possible so when i started traveling 
twice a month. I, when I'm gone 30 to 50% of my calendar year, discipleship became less and less practical. And I had oh. a long praying, wrestling match with God over that. And it's not dead. Uh, I don't know if it's on hold or I don't know if God's just doing something different that I'll get more and more clarity on. But now I just get to talk to everybody else about it. And yeah. maybe maybe God's doing something through that. Or I'm just waiting for God to say, okay, unpause, go back in. So we'll, we'll see. But that's where I've been for the handful of years that I've served in this role. Yeah, that actually makes me kind of sad. That, that, that would be a, <laughs> a great thing to be a part of. I hope that somehow you get back into that. That's good. It, it is something. I hope that what I get to do is pass that on to more and more people um, indirectly and say, hey, you could do that too. So maybe if there's 50 of Marty's running around, uh, maybe that might be what God's up to. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So so that's everything kind of outside of our current uh, interaction or relationship with you. Our relationship is all through Bama Discipleship Podcast, which uh, BamaDiscipleship.com, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to find. A uh, couple 300 episodes, just awesome stuff. So at this point, I'm going to step back a little bit because I got sort of the the history detail-y kind of stuff out of the way. Samuel, I want you to get to the bottom of who this guy is. <laughs> Good luck, Samuel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a big task. Um, well, I was talking to Paul earlier. If we have regular, list, regular listeners on our podcast, they probably know that we mention you and the content that you have been teaching people across the world almost once an episode. Um, And one of the things that we did not want to do with this interview was turn it into a product where we have somebody that we respect and value come on to the space. And then we're just asking them specific questions about their theology or some episode that puzzles us or other people that we talked about with it. We much more wanted to try to imitate that treasure that you brought up in one of your episodes about God knowing humanity, that Hebrew aspect of Yadah. And with our guests, we want to, like, our primary focus is to relationally want to know this person, like, and imitate God in that way. So uh, one of the leading off questions that hopefully gets to the bottom of that is, what is something in your life, it could be personal, relational, spiritual, recreational, that you don't get a chance to talk about with others? Because I know that you're a busy guy with your ministry and your job, and you probably have a schedule of things that you have to speak about, whether planned or people planning for you to talk about. But what is something that you do not get a chance to talk about that just has a fire inside of your life um i'll start with that and there's a couple follow-up questions outside of that i love that there's a lot of places i could go with that i could talk about my vices you never get to talk about your vices the things that i just <laughs> love when i'm on the back patio around a campfire uh we could talk about um oh those those hobbies that you're ashamed to admit that you're a part of you never talk about those things i do love this question i love the approach you guys are wanting to to take with this the safer play is i would talk about like one of my greatest hobbies is just my love for for hunting and the outdoors and what it you know you asked this question this follow-up question about um you know how it bless how it blesses me like there is something that happens in that space every year when i take a good chunk of october 
it's going to be different now that I've moved to Ohio. But when I was in Idaho, it was October. And I would take a good chunk and just be out in the mountains, a totally different kind of energy, a totally different kind of space, a totally different kind of, man, there's just something about um, the outdoors. There's something about the hunt. And the older and the older I've got, there is a connection. I wish I actually got to talk about this more, Samuel. It's so great. Like you say, (laughs) I, I don't get to talk about this because if I did... I would probably have all kinds of insight and things to articulate because there is something deeply connected um, spiritually to how I've grown and developed as a person and what I experience on the hunt when I was younger, like I, success, like, and what was success? Success was bagging an animal. Like success was, I'm a big game hunter. So deer, elk, got my lifetime moose hunt last year spent eight and a half weeks chasing a bull moose around the mountains Woo-hoo! never got it oh um, no yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> he eluded me the whole time um it, but uh any there I, there was i would get like i would i would get angry if i didn't what if i wasn't successful in a hunt i the need to pull the trigger the and the older and the older I get, and I think it's not just about my age, it's about my spiritual maturity, the more and more I'm okay not pulling the trigger, the more and more I'm okay not bagging the animal, the more present, I, and the more that I find God, I put that in air quotes, just all throughout the whole experience, uh, this beautiful mountaintop, some wacky encounter with some animal I don't have a tag for, um, some of them that want to eat me, like it's just some amazing, <laughs> I, it's just one of my most favorite spaces that I get. It, now that I've moved to Ohio, I'm going to miss the mountains of Idaho so much. I, there's something new. God has something new for me in this space, in this new place. Um, but that, man, I have loved, I have loved that so much. So there you go. Follow up question that. Well, can I <laughs> get in there real quick, Samuel? Go for it. What he's describing sounds kind of sabbathy like like a, a a different kind of sabbath experience not particularly on the day but right yeah no it's you know they have these four words for sabbath in the jewish consciousness and i think that's definitely you know you have the idea of the weekly sabbath you have the festival sabbaths and you have these other sabbaths and one of them is this season this pilgrimage this space it is it's very it's very Sabbathy, very Cathedral of Time ish for me to quote Heschel. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Good for you. We'll have to give a shameless plug. Since you can't go to Idaho, you have to come down to the mountains of southeastern Kentucky and hunt some elk. I was gonna say they have a herd there, I've been told. I have heard mm-hmm. about a herd. And that is I thought about living in Kentucky just on that side of the border, just for that reason alone, but didn't make it. Yeah. Now, is is that something that you have brought, like, it's allowed you to bring other people into your life doing that? Or is it more of a a form of solitude that is needed in your life where you can experience those things? Oh, man, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever kind of parsed, pulled that apart um, in that way. Uh, it's been so beneficial on all those. Le- I think I probably feel like I... I have been more in charge of that space than I actually truly am. Like I'm probably 
wandering through my own spiritual mountains all the time, thinking that I know where I'm going. And actually God's like, Oh man, you have no idea what's around the next bend. So, (laughs) so such beautiful benefits from it's good for my personal space, my marital space. I get to bring my kids. My wife loves to hunt. She's actually a better hunter than me. Don't tell anybody that. Um, (laughs) Nice. So it's just so good. So, so good. I love it. Yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot in that way. I mean, just like we see Jesus withdrawing to places of solitude to be able to pray and kind of reset. That sounds exactly like what you're doing just in yeah. a different context. Yeah. No, I think I'd affirm that. Yeah. Paul, anything else on this question before we move on to another one? No, I'm just in my head. I'm still spinning going with Marty, the mighty hunter. <laughs> it's just not an image I had before and I love it. My yes. Jewish middle name, Nimrod. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. That awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, moving on to slightly different topic. One of the things that you bring up in Bema discipleship is this aspect of discovering treasures hidden within the biblical text that God and the authors have placed for you to wrestle with to experience, understand God through that way more than just a a Western analytical black and white receiving the facts kind of thing. Um, on that line, what is one of those lessons or treasures that either you've discovered or someone's taught you about this narrative that God has been painting since the beginning of time that seems to continue resonating in your life, regardless of the season, like whether you're on a mountaintop of life or in the valley, like what what is something either your teaching or someone has taught you that just continues to resonate through your your life? Um, well, we just talked about this on the podcast, but it's been my answer for like two or three years for uh, for any like question of this regard. Um, I was in a discussion group um, a few years ago, back when I still was doing discussion groups at the beginning of the podcast, um, and we were in session one, and we were unpacking... Um, uh, the Abraham and Isaac, the Akidas story, and the binding of Isaac. And we were discussing um, the next story in the next week. And this used to be like, this was like, I think my 2018. Like I was talking about this kind of like everywhere I went, my 2018 story. And then we just did the episode, like it, it posted like two weeks ago. We recorded it a few months ago. And I, it came to life again for me. I was like, oh, this is still so alive. It's still so vibrant of a lesson for me. But um, I'll, I'll try to do the short, uh, non-full episode version of this. We, we were talking about the story and uh, of Isaac and Abraham. We were, we were talking about Sarah. Uh, actually, we were talking about Eliezer going to get a wife for Isaac when he gets sent off to go get Rivka. And, um, and somebody was like, Marty, I want to go back because I want to – I'm wondering why Isaac doesn't come down the mountain with Abraham. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've taught me to look at the text. You've taught me to look for treasure. And one of the things that doesn't make any sense, it's very clearly blatant in the text, is that Isaac doesn't come down the mountain. I'm like, what are you talking about? So go back to the story. And sure enough, Isaac and Abraham go to the mountain. Isaac and Abraham are out the mountain. Isaac and Abraham go up the mountain. Abraham comes down the mountain. And I was like, oh my goodness, like there has to be. Well, we had this Jewish gal in our class whose father was a rabbi. 
And she would often be texting in class. It was like the most, uh, my insecurity would go through the roof whenever she, I was like, who are you texting? You're texting your dad? I want to know. Um, this, on this occasion, she started texting. I'm like, are you texting your dad to see if there's a midrash about this story? And she's like, yes. I'm like, okay, if he texts you back. Yes. We kind of moved on. A little bit later in the story, her dad texts back. And, and he's like, well, there's one midrash that says that Abraham actually did sacrifice Isaac on the altar at the top of the mountain and that three days later he rises from the dead and there's a resurrection and I was like oh that's beautiful I'm, I'm thinking like I, I literally think the book of Hebrews is kind of alluding to that midrash I believe it's old I think it's Genesis Rabbah uh, um, but but her dad says but but the more popular midrash is actually that Isaac is so scarred and traumatized by what happens on top of the mountain that he doesn't come down with Abraham and runs off and he actually uh, is living with Melchizedek. And I'm like, oh, okay. What? What? And then like I'm processing this in this class with the story of Eliezer and going to get a wife for Isaac. And all of a sudden it hits me that if if Isaac isn't at home, Abraham is sin and Sarah's just died. So mom's died with her only son because they already got rid of Hagar and Ishmael. Yeah. Sent them on their way. Yeah. So that means that her her only son, the son of promise, was not home when she dies, according to the timeline. Like, how guilty does Abraham have to feel? He took off one day to sacrifice his son. Didn't, or did, but didn't, and doesn't come home with him. Now his wife, like, how could that? And there's even this illusion, he goes to mourn for her, that she's in, she's in Hebron, um, if I remember the story correctly, I'd have to go check. Um, but she's in Hebron, and and he goes to more like it. It kind of gives the illusion they're not even together because he's in Beer Shiva and has to go to mourn her when she dies. And then in the middle of the text, it tells you there's a verse that tells you that Isaac was living in Beer Lacharoi, which is where Hagar. That's the well of Hagar. And so, anyway, all these things are coming together in my mind. Going, Abraham sent away. For he sent for a wife for a son that he didn't even know if he was going to come home. Wow. Which is why Eliezer and the story is like, well, do you want me to go? Like, just if she doesn't want to come back, do you want me to go take Isaac to her? Because she's not going to want to come back to a house she doesn't know if her husband's even coming home to. And Abraham's like, no, you have to bring her back here. And so Isaac is in the field, if you remember, when they come back home. And it was just this, to make a long story short, this lesson of faithfulness, like Abraham, I and I don't know, it's such a weird story, isn't it? Like we kind of glorify the story of the binding of Isaac, but it's such a weird story full of like, is that right? Is that wrong? Like what's going, but it's just full of life for me, like just to hold it without judgment. How many times have I, I even think of my own parents, I, I, I'll throw my own parents under the bus here. Like wanting to do exactly what God told them to do. And yet I had to deconstruct so much of my faith. But they were trying to do the right thing. And I'm sure God would have come to them and went, "Ah, I see your faith. Thank you. Now that I know that you won't withhold whatever from me. And yet, was it right? Was it wrong? It just was. And then I had to deconstruct stuff later but this whole story is just full of faithfulness, faithfulness on Isaac's part, faithfulness on Abraham's part. In the midst of all of the mess and all of the deconstruction and all of the things they got right and all the things that they got wrong, 
they just kept leaning in and trusting. And somehow that ends up pulling this family back together. And man, that, that I, I talked about, I'm even getting worked up now. Like yeah. talking about that episode, that was such a moving lesson for me of like that, that is the messiness of life. That is the, who knows, who knows if I'm getting this, am I getting this hundred percent, right? 90% right. 80% wrong. Like who, who knows we're doing our best and we have to keep trusting the story. We have to keep trusting in the promises of God. We have to keep pursuing this to the best of our ability because that's all we have to offer. And, and sometimes the Isaacs come back home. I, that is so good. Anyway, yeah. that, that, that is, that's one of the lessons that I've learned. Yeah, that is super awesome. I know it's funny. Uh, Samuel and I have talked a little bit about a topic just like this. We use the terminology, it's not as if in our faith, God is necessarily keeping score. It's not like you have to perform at a certain level. It's the faithfulness and the loyalty, everything that's behind it. That's what he sees. And, oh, that is one beautiful treasure, Samuel. Yeah. Seems like there's a, a thread across seems like a lot of people with that story i mean even you and i paul like our intro we haven't really officially explained it to our listeners we're saving that for another episode but uh our intro is inspired by the abraham isaac story the aspect of hanuni like here i am i'm not going anywhere that we see with father and son and then you hinted at with jesus uh, in the new testament as well in one of your episodes so thank you for sharing us with us that treasure that I'm, I'm pretty speechless with all of that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's super it's, good. It's good stuff. By the way, have you ever heard Leonard Cohen's Leonard Cohen's song Hanani that he does on that phrase? Uh, uh-uh, all no. right, when we're done recording, you go YouTube that it's fantastic. Okay. I'm writing it down yeah. now. Me too. Can never miss a good Leonard Cohen song. Yeah. <laughs> so Marty, you mentioned this, like one of your intro episodes in Baymont, and we talk about it in our own podcast, this aspect of revelation for a lot of people that the biblical narrative and the scriptures have this deeply rooted Jewish context and Eastern mode of thinking that our Western lifestyle is not accustomed to and how much like Paul and I talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect a lot with how what we think we know and that gives us a form of comfort. But then when we realize that the truth is actually so much bigger than that, it like our whole world kind of collapses before we begin to start on this journey of like true understanding. Um, and we have relationships with people in and out of the podcast, and I'm sure you do as well, who really do struggle with trying to adopt these mindsets into their faith with God. Um, and, for you as someone who is teaching this content on a weekly basis like we are, what would you say is like a good first step for someone who is experiencing that struggling, that wrestling match right now with the Jewish aspect of, you know, the priority of the Torah with God and Jesus upholding the Torah in the New Testament? Like how can someone try to move towards a place of healing and growth rather than it being a place of contention for them? Uh, that's a that's a super good question. Um uh, and and my answer may be way too simplified. But 
I'm going to start by saying just give yourself a load of grace. Um, first of all, we're not mo- most of us listening to this aren't Easterners. We're Westerners, and we are Westerners, and we can't we can't make ourselves Eastern. You can't study enough books. You you can become more acquainted, more aware of a more Eastern perspective and an Eastern worldview and a new way to ask different questions, better questions. Um, that can be more that can be more automatic, more second nature. But that will that will take time. So f- number one is just being like, okay, but I but I am a Westerner. I'm going to relate to God through Western ways, through um, deconstructions, a long process, and it's kind of a buzzword right now. I was using deconstruction way before it was cool. Um, that's but, right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a long process, and you're you. And if there's anything that this story has taught us, it's Grace upon grace upon grace, openness. God, like God's always, whether he shows up in the person of Jesus, whether he shows up in a Christophany, whether he shows up just in a vision, like one of the things that's just always consistent about God is, oh, you want in? Great. <laughs> like, period. Like, that's it. Like, that, like there's there's no test. There's no getting a million things right. It's just this becoming more and more and more awake, more and more and more aware, more and more and more aligned. All that stuff should make us more and more and more free. So so my big answer is just give yourself a, a ton, because you, you probably know a little bit more than you did yesterday. And that's the point. And you'll know a little bit more, just a little bit more tomorrow than you did today and and that's that's the whole point there's a quote in the talmud that i just love it talks about um i don't know if i'll get it word for word but it says uh as uh, rain falls from the heavens and drops and forms mighty rivers uh so it is with the study of torah a man studies a little today and a little tomorrow until understanding comes like a mighty river like it's just whoo that is so good um oh, yeah because it yeah, just ton of grace. A little drop today, a little drop tomorrow. It will make a stream. One day you'll look you won't see it happening, but one day you'll look back, you'll realize it's a river and and you'll just be unpacking more and more and more and more. So that was probably an oversimplified, kind of dodgy answer, but that's what I got for you. Oh, I'm gonna help undodge it. So uh now this is this comes from my personal experience. Yes. So I, I went decades typical american western christian evangelical whatever but there was there always questions in the back of my mind just things not making sense whatever when i finally did get introduced to some different people who were teaching some different things and 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 the light bulb started going on there was really like it was just a gigantic crisis of faith and it wasn't actually my faith it wasn't as if i was going to stop believing god or something like that but it was more like i've just wasted my whole life believing things that don't make sense and 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 this is too big how am i ever going to get it all that was a hard moment and i know other people who have faced that same moment and rather than diving into it they literally run away from it and so I don't know what your personal experience is, but I know you you deal with a lot of people in your life. 
what can you say to people in that spot, that spot where they're trying to decide diving in or running away or whatever? Yeah, that's a really good point. If you're if you're in that spot, man, just keep going and keep leaning in. If you know that, here's the other thing. Sometimes people got drugged to that spot. Like sometimes we, like we all end up on this journey. And like you said, we get teachers, like the, the lights go on, whatever the secret combination on the spiritual lock is. But there's that moment that things click that we can't manufacture. And because we have that moment, and sometimes others are ready, and that's beautiful. I'm not saying don't bring anybody with you when people are ready. Bring, but sometimes we're like, no, you have to come with me. But they haven't had those moments. The combination right. hasn't clicked. The, the lights aren't on. And so they get drugged to that moment, and they, they shouldn't have been there in the first place, and they turn around and they go back. I still think God will use that moment. Maybe later they'll come back to that same spot. Who knows? Um, but for those that ended up in that spot for all the right reasons— uh, and you're right. And it happens in my podcast for the majority of listeners right around episode. What is it? Five is the email where they're like, okay, is <laughs> Noah real or not? I need to know if Noah happened. Um, and that is the bulk of the email. Uh, now for some, it happens 20 episodes later for some, it's 80 episodes later for some, it's in session three with Jesus and the gospels. Like it'll happen at a different spot, but there's, there is often a crisis of, and I explain it like I had my experience. It was like I had to keep pulling out pictures from my file cabinet because I had been given all these mental photographs. And then as I started to learn, it was like, well, that one's wrong. And so you pull it out and you replace it with a new one. You, well, that one's wrong. And you pull it out and, it, and you just keep doing this and you get so frustrated and you keep getting more. And there's this moment of anger where you, you can do a few things. Number one, you can just get furious. And a ton of people do this. Slam the door shut, light the file cabinet on fire, and walk away from it all. Yep. And that is a tragic story that happens to far too many. Yep. Um, and, but hopefully we have enough people that help us navigate that to just be like, don't don't light the whole thing on fire. Just, this is a moment. We're going to turn it upside down, dump it all out, um, because we're going to realize that that was never our salvation anyway. Um, our salvation was in the Jesus that owns the file cabinet in the first place. There you go. So we're going to dump out all that stuff. And we're just going to start building something new. And uh, there's this there's this panic when you clean house because you found all your security and all the stuff that was in that drawer. Uh, to dump it all out feels unbelievable, spiritually naked, um, and insecure. Uh, but really, what it, if you if you lean into that, what it allows you to do is get reacquainted with the foundation that you're actually standing on in the first place. Because all the contents of the drawer were really just contents. It was the foundation you were standing on that was the whole point in the, in the first place. And then all those other things start to give you a much more colorful, a much more robust, a much more inspiring. You start to fill that drawer up with all the right images. Well, now all of a sudden I'm coming to life and something new is getting unlocked in me. So if you're at that moment, A, it's okay. It, it is totally okay. Lean into it. Go into it. And just keep going because on the other side is where you start to put everything back together. And you will love what gets built so much more than the house of cards that you're trying to convince yourself is. Anyway, that's probably way too judgmental. But there you go. That's what, Those are my. You got me to undodge it. You're right. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is so good. And I got to tell you, I lived exactly what you said. I lived it right here in my house. One mm -hmm. of my favorite memories of my journey is when my wife, sitting in a chair, 
listening to me, and all of a sudden she just looks up and she says, I don't have the questions you have. And and it was that, it was like a, a just an acknowledgement for me. It helped me so much to go, oh my gosh, she has her journey. I have my journey. Ooh, yeah. And, and I got to be careful. I've got to, I've got to help. Absolutely. You know, bring her along and, and I'm, I'm lost. So, uh-huh. yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really key too, to get out of your own head and out of your own space, which has validity and needs to be affirmed. But when you can realize other people and to start asking them the questions and pulling out of them the journey that they're on, whew, well, now we're, now we're growing in spiritual maturity. That's a good thing. Yeah, Marty, with you saying about that feeling of nakedness, it made me think of this midrash that I had read. I think it's concerning a verse in Proverbs 8 where the rabbis were saying that if you're not willing to become, quote, naked for the sake of Torah, like to uncover yourself of all the things that get in the way of that true wisdom and being able to experience it, that like you're not going to be able to actually pursue real growth and stuff. So it in in a world that's where it's filled with tension and almost feels like it's constricting people's ability to, to breathe spiritually, I really love your answer because it just feels like this big exhale for me and for other people to say that like God understands God is the true one who knows and like he's wanting to help you on wherever you are in that part of your journey. Amen to that. Yeah. I like that. God has an exhale. I love that. There's this always this moment where everybody meets God and they go, <gasps> and the next moment is always that, that next moment is always the one we're going for. The exhale of letting, oh, oh, that's what love is. Oh, that's what, that's what acceptance is. That's beautiful. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I think it's funny that we talked about exhaling and this question's probably going to constrict the airway a little bit <laughs> going the other direction. But um, <laughs> you, you talk about a lot of challenging things within Bema discipleship, things about God that I wasn't aware of or aspects that he's, he's calling me to that are really uncomfortable based on how I have been living up until this point. Um, is there an aspect of God that you have learned within his story that's been the most challenging for you to wrestle with? Like, I know that we all have roadblocks in our faith, uh, but like what, what is one of those for you? And then how have you been able to overcome that? Um, so yeah, if you want the, uh, airway constricting answer, the honest one, I, I got it. Um, and, and I'll be the, I'll just remind everybody I'm the guest, so you can't get mad at the podcast host for the answer <laughs> I'm going to give you. Um, you get mad at me all you want, but, um, I'll, I'll tell you what I've learned and then it just keeps compounding the thing that I've, the roadblock, the stumbling, the struggle that I've had, and then it just keeps compounding itself. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to do this as graciously as possible. And this is just about me for all your listeners. This is just about me. It's not about anybody else. I'm not making a political statement. I'm not accusing anybody. Um, I, I'm not informed by a Twitter feed or a news outlet. Here's what I can tell you from the last five or six years. This isn't a new discovery for me. This isn't because of the last two or three years. Um, but I have been on this long journey of just discovering the kind of um, uh, racism 
prejudice that lives inside of me, that's been, it's real for me. It's real. And I've gone on this journey to want to ask more questions about that. I've wanted to not be defensive about that. It's true for me. I don't know if it's true for anybody else. I just know it's really true for me. And um, to to have to wrestle with that and come to grips with that, to be somebody, when I kind of had my wake-up moment for that, uh, I was already a year or two into the podcast. Samuel, I was already about alien orphan widow. I was already a liberation theologian. I was I was already on board with all and then to discover that some of that stuff lived inside of me and I just wasn't I wasn't doing the work to deal with it. Um and then and so then I was like, okay, so then I went on this own personal journey and that was fine. Right? And then the world started changing and more and more people started talking about it. And now it's politically loaded. So now I don't want to talk about it because it wasn't a politically loaded thing when I started. It was a personal thing. And and it, trust me, it was still politically loaded, but it wasn't the political reality it has become in the last handful of years. And so then I got, I had to get really uncomfortable again because I was like, okay, God, but I don't want to talk about this with anybody else because everybody makes, there's either this side or that side and everybody, so I can't talk about it. And God was like, no, you need to talk about it. And then the more I yeah. talked about it, God was like, you, you got to talk about it some more. Part, partially for me, partially for everybody else. And, and, and learning how to talk about it well and not get caught up in all the electrified, polarized, accusatory, very ungospel, un-Eucharist language that's very us versus them and all whatever, like to try to figure out how to have a very gospel-centric organization, uh, uh, conversation about it. And then every, and then, and then I'll tell you what, in the last two years, you just can't talk about it at all. Um, because, uh, I mean, we did a recent episode just exploring the topic on the podcast. Um, I have gotten more, some of it hate mail, but just more, I'll call it critical email. Very blatantly critical email. If, if you combined all the email I've ever received in all my ministry, in 20-some-odd years of ministry, all the critical email I've gotten, it wouldn't even touch what I received in the seven days that followed that podcast episode. Wow. Um, and it, So it's this continual, and so what do you do? And you're torn, and I'm still torn today about it makes you want to disengage because you don't want to go weed through all, or there's another, this warrior part of me that makes me want to take up the flag and just be like, yeah, and I'm going to burn the whole thing down. And you're, de- and man, how do you occupy the middle space? And, and obviously I have people on one side really mad that I'm suggesting that there's a conversation to be had. On the other side, I have all my social justice warrior friends going, you're complicit and you're not moving fast enough and far enough. And it's, it's been well, painful. It's been hurtful on yeah. some days, and it's and I and that's not that's there's no martyr. Like I, I have so much to learn. I just want to share the journey with others in a way that's completely like come with me or don't. Like it doesn't matter. I just want to be open so that others can see that and join me. It's been hard, um, and that sounds really like. Oh, woe is me. I, listen, one of the things I've learned is how privileged I am. There's no woe is me in this. I, I'm probably not moving fast enough. I'm probably not going far enough. I, like, I, man, but that, you want to talk about the struggle. 
And the fact that I even brought it up here, um, I'm sure you'll get emails about you know, the Okie Dokie Mos uh, podcast. Critical race theory showed its face. Um, you know, whatever. Come on, no, Jiminy this, Christmas. See, this is what this is about, though. I mean, just the just the the basic, shallow sort of view into what you just talked about. This idea that hey, this became a personal thing in me. That, you know, let's just say it kind of gets hijacked just by current time, culture, politics, whatever you want to say, that that in some way hinders you from being able to really walk through it, at least something other than all by yourself. That's just that's sad and wrong. And and you need to be able to have that freedom to go through this thing. I mean, we're. Uh, an open space you can do that we don't really care it doesn't even matter about culture and politics and all that again we're interested in you marty the man right and if this is your life this is you know a roadblock or whatever man we we want to hear about it and and hopefully we and and anybody who's going to listen hopefully at the very least they'll join you in prayer right right yeah and I, i don't know i I am so thankful that you brought that up just just for the the people listening to be able to go, you know, wow, there are people, real individual people going through things. And if we get too wrapped up in the things of the day, we can overlook it and worse, actually hurt people or or not give them an opportunity to, to receive some sort of friendship or love or this or that or whatever I, well i'm glad you brought that up yeah That's good. yeah thanks yeah, i appreciate the response too it, it's been a thing but yeah that's i mean that's that's what we're i mean that's what we've always that's the that's the eucharistic gospel that we've been at for two thousand years is trying to figure that out so it's nothing new but it's it's a good reminder yeah, yeah. and you you highlight the value of vulnerability and transparency that is so needed in today's world. Um, I think it provides this heightened sense of empathy to hear this someone else's struggle and to be reminded of their humanity as well as your own. Yeah. And to be able to say like, you know, on the surface, you could think that at some point in your life and in your faith journey, you could have be thinking that you have plateaued in terms of like dealt with the things that you need to have dealt with uh, that are vices or whatever you want to call those things. But I think you bring up that God's not satisfied with plateauing. Like he wants us to continue to dig deeper and to uncover the things that he still wants us to like sanctify and to refine and to take the dross off of ourselves. Uh, so that like when we're gifted with getting to experience the kingdom like we have more of the law written on us than we than we would have if we didn't approach those things like on this side of things absolutely yeah yeah that's awesome um marty you are a highly motivated guy uh if if anybody has not looked at your youtube channel especially the one where you introduce your disciplines in your life Highly recommend everyone to go watch it. I think it is incredibly motivational to see the things that you have set in your life to 
continue to make yourself the most productive person for God that you can be. And with knowing that you're a highly motivated person, I know that you probably have a lot of goals in your life, whether it's stuff within the Baymall ministry impact or personally, um, would you be willing to share like a goal of yours? It doesn't have to be Baymall related, but just something that jumps out in your mind. First thing that you're really excited and motivated to, to achieve within the next few years. Man, um, I am a very motivated person. Um, that is absolutely correct. I feel like this wasn't an official thing. I feel like I swore off goals years ago because I'm so motivated and I will like do everything to achieve goals. I would, I would like, I'll change life, like I'll move all. And the problem was, was when God wanted, when my goals were bad, which was like most of the time, because <laughs> they were just <laughs> finite and human. Um, and I just lacking in God's perspective. Um, I, I was like, I was holding everything back because I had like, I've always been very, very, very goal oriented from the days I was in middle school onward. Like it's made me the overachiever mostly in some good ways, but in some really bad ways too, some really destructive ways. And I was like usurping what God was wanting to do in my life. Cause I was like, no, I made a goal and I'm going to finish it. Cause that honors the Lord. And the Lord was like, but I'm asking you to not honor me that way. And like, well, too bad. I set a goal. <laughs> um, and so I, one of my, one of my goals actually has been, this isn't just a cop out has been to be more present like to know what I do today. Um, and one of my goals is to be even more present as the older, like if I serve as Impact's president for years to come, if I'm still doing this a decade from now, I hope I'm a more, not more busy. I'm actually trying to get less busy. And this is a really bad week to ask me about this. Cause I feel like <laughs> unbelievably busy. Um, oh, no. but, uh, my goal is in, in the in the long run to be less and less and less busy so that I'm more and more and more grounded so that I'm a better listener. I'm doing much more uh I'm not doing it now, but one of my goals is when I'm fifty, I hope that as I'm as I'm starting to see retirement over the credit I don't even know if I believe in retirement, but you get the idea. As I'm starting <laughs> to see the hill, the sunrise, the sunset, whatever, that I am actually showing up and watching more than showing up to give and and I'm sure my my whole life will always be about words and teaching if the Lord chooses to do that but I just mean right now I feel like I'm always like there's always projects 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 um things that I'm doing uh, things I got to do I got that you you talk about my YouTube channel and all I went was like oh I got to do my YouTube video today um cuz oh, I have goals cuz I have to do <laughs> weekly, weekly posts and then I got to edit and then I got to blah 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 and I hope that Yikes. I'm doing less and less and less of that when I'm when I'm 50, when I'm 60. And what I'm doing is I'm like, I have something to say. I've worked my whole life to have things to say and things to share. What I really want to do is be more aware of where I'm at and who's around me and what God's doing and what to pull out. Like, I feel like I'm still trying to, like, build things in my bag of tricks. And I want to become the person that has a bag of tricks that God is going, okay, now reach in and grab that one. Yeah. Um, produce less and use more. 
um, as I get older and older. And I don't know, now that you say that, I may be failing at that goal because I just keep finding more and more things to create. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So my goal to be goalless uh, would be, uh, that's and that's on a personal, like I want to be, I don't, my kids, they're coming up on their bat and bar mitzvahs. And then they'll be, you know, and then I've got however many, a handful of more years. And then they'll, I don't know what will be next. I don't know if they'll move away. I don't know if they'll stay. I don't know. I don't know. But I, man, I want to be present for that. That's one of my goals is to not be, I mean, I'm already on the road 30 to 50% of my calendar year. So part of my goal is when I'm home to be home, um, to still have time with my wife, to still have, those are like really, that sounds like really dumb. Those are, but those are pretty good goals for me. Um, yeah, and that's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to do more and more of. That's a good question, man. This podcast, I don't want to listen to this one. This one's going to haunt me. Like, <laughs> man, that guy, that guy needs to get his life together. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like that. Hey, I just want to make sure I got this right. Marty's goal: no more goals. Okay, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And that's more me. Like, I don't want to say that's not life advice for anybody. Yeah. Because I am like Samuel, you you identified me correctly. Like I am a type A Enneagram type A. I am, I am. I guess I could be a type one. It could be worse. But I, I have to achieve. I have to be doing things. I have to be challenging the system. I have to be. Um, and so for me to not have goals enables me to be more responsive to what God is. And that's that's about Marty. I, that's not great life advice for anybody that's not like me. So please don't take that and apply that at home. Do not try this at home. Um, Individual results may vary. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I love that. <laughs> oh, I personally think your answer is awesome because I think what you're, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds like what you're trying to get at is for your life to look more Sabbath-like. Well, I know we've talked about that once already, but just that aspect that you've talked about in podcasts and Bama in the past and going forward, like that aspect of setting aside space where you're not concerning yourself with what needs to get done or what goals that you're doing. Maybe I, I unintentionally made a loaded question for us to go back to the prioritization of Sabbath, but the times where I've been able to experience Sabbath the most, that's where that awareness comes in that you're, that you're speaking about. And I think that we all, in my opinion, we have something to learn from you in saying to not be so goal oriented because our culture tells us that we do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the more that we're just present and the more that we know that we are and are created and everything allows us to like maybe truly know ourselves better than what we did before. Yeah. Truth. Yep. Samuel, I'm going to sneak in. Go for it. I think I know where you're headed next, and, and I think I got something that'll fit in here. Um, okay. So I have the advantage of, of living outside your world, Marty. Yes. If, you, if we can call that an advantage. I and would. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I look at Bema Discipleship, and, and I know me and the way that I look at the world. So I look at it, and I go, okay, I know that somehow Marty saw something there was a problem a hole a gap something and you felt like you could fix it or fill the hole or bridge that gap or whatever what was it what did you see the thing that made you do bema discipleship that you thought it would fix that 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I don't know if I felt like I could fix it, but I felt like I definitely had a part to play. And if I didn't play it, I would be, there would be a piece missing. Um, which is a good life lesson for all of us. Like whenever we find that thing, like you, you have something to give to that, whether you're the whole answer, probably not the whole answer, but you're part of it and you have a piece. So don't hold out on us because we need you to be you. Uh, yeah. But I had definitely had that moment. And I think for me, like there could be a lot of little pieces or maybe a lot of different ways to hold the gym and see different aspects of it. But I think if I would articulate it now, we had we had a lot of bad readings of the Bible, Amen. and I felt like I could influence that conversation. And I and I want to do that still today. And I wanted to, and I got started from the inside rather than run away. Um, I mean, I had a lot of friends that went through the same thing, and they just kind of went over to the other side of the theological world, became textual critics left the church. And I understand all that. I understand all that. I get it. And I'm not faulting that for me. I felt like I know how to speak this fundamentalist language. I've been raised in this. I know why they have bad readings of the Bible. I know because they love, it was the same world that told me to love Jesus and love the Bible. Like whatever you do, whatever you do, love Jesus and love the Bible. So I did that. And then realized it was all different than what they told me, but it was them that told me to do the very, so I wanted to kind of stay in that same world and figure out how to talk about the Bible in this way that didn't just go grab a penthouse office in the ivory tower of academia. Like I wanted to stay, I haven't gone and gotten a seminary degree. I'm not, I don't have all these letters after my name because I I just want to hang out here I've always called myself the Robin Hood of theology. Um, you know, steal from the theologically rich and give to the theologically poor. That's right, yeah. Because that's the space I want to occupy. Because um, I know what it's like to be a pastor in these churches. And I, I know what it's like to love the Bible and to believe it's inspired and inerrant and infallible. And I do believe all those things. And and I don't think these things are mutually ex- – so that's what I saw. I saw – like there's a way to love the Bible. Actually, we don't love the Bible enough. We can love the Bible even more. Um, and there's something wrong when we go to church and we are bored. Like now I'm quoting another teacher of mine, so these aren't even my whole words. But they're, like when you go to church and the main question captivating your attention is when is lunch, that is a problem um, because the <laughs> word of God should not so that's that's what I wanted to do. And when I went to Israel and Turkey, there was like this endless well. It seemed like, and then as I, and then when I started to like plumb the depths of that well, which is actually very shallow, I found out there was just more and more underneath it. Like the ground just kept giving way, and where I I could spend my whole life digging out of this well of Torah and this well of what, and will all like there will always be more. So let's just make sure we're more and more and more captivated by this. Let's love let's love Jesus and the Bible even more. Like yeah. even more. We we loved him enough to love our doctrine. Let's love him even more than that. We loved him enough to love our systematic theology. Let's love him even more than that because there's more. There's even more going on. Um now I'm really rambling and getting poetic, but that's what I saw. I saw a bad I saw a world that was being captivated and held captive by bad readings of the Bible. And it was, it, 
it hurt and it's it, the the ramifications is that it hurts other people it oppresses other people it yeah. controls and abuses on its on its worst days it abuses people um and we can do better we can yeah. do better so i wanted to i wanted to add my voice to the conversation to to say no better we can do better than that yeah. So your pod, your podcast's been going a few years. You're up on like session five or six now, right? Session six. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're it's still fun. back in session three. All right. Well, enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah, we're there. <laughs> but so I have to ask though, now that you're this far along, how do you feel about it? I mean, you, you saw the gap, the hole, whatever, and, and you went for it. Do you feel like it's it's working. Are 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 you are you doing the thing you set out to do? Uh, yes, but it also I would have never. De- yes and no. Like yes, I feel like it's definitely working, but I would not have ever dreamed that it would be what it is right now today either. Because a, it's just taken off, and and we're just trying to steward all that energy, um, and, and whatever God's doing with the podcast. And then from there, we're trying to figure. Okay, part of stewarding this is figuring out what do we what do we where do we go next and what do we do beyond that? And, and I do feel like we've got some really great ideas. I know I've lived enough life to know some of them aren't good ideas. Some, we think they're all good ideas. Some of them will not be, um, some of them will not work. Some of them will, and some of them will simply get us where we're going to the next idea that we don't have yet. So I've lived enough life to just, again, there's kind of that goals to not have goals. Cause like, I have enough to work on today, and I know that I don't know where I'll be tomorrow, but there's some really just, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see, I can see it, A, I can just see a, a sea of potential. I have no idea. I just hope, I, my prayer is that I will, st- I will continue to steward this well in my own frail fallibility and the mistakes that I will make. I want to hopefully steward what God wants to do through me and through our ministry to the best of my ability for his kingdom, his glory, his name. Um, that'll be the danger is when I take this and wrestle it out of his hands and do something else with it. I just pray I don't have that moment yeah. or that I catch it soon enough that I can hand it off or repent and change it. But nevertheless, um, that, that's there's a, a sea of potential out there. And I just, I hope I'm catching the right waves and riding them to the right shore. So that's, yes, I, I, I feel real, well, I don't feel good. I feel humbled that God yeah. would. I mean, I can remember the day where Brent and I were like, we have 60 groups. Like, we were like blown away. Like, we, yeah. have, we probably have a few thousand people listening to this. Like, we were, and then one day Brent was like, I feel like we need to get better. Like, we changed our podcast host so we could have better data points. Um, yeah. We just had this sense, like, I think maybe there's more going on than we thought. And ever since that day, we've just kind of been wide-eyed, like, what's going on? Okay, let, what? Okay, God, what What do you want us to do now? What do you want us to do now? What's, what, would, what would honor you next? So, yeah. there you go. That's that question. Well, from the outside, it, 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 it's awesome to watch and see because... Uh, you know, there are so many different avenues where teachings that are, you know, let's just say in the vein of what you guys are doing that are out there and they're all scattered and they're all, you know, pretty small in terms of popularity. It just, it's, it's, 
it seems like it's kind of everywhere, and at the same time, it's it's remaining very uh, unpopular, if I could say it that way. And so, what you guys have done, it, it sort of stands out a little bit, and and we're all really thankful for it because it's it's opening up the eyes and the ears, and some are going to be really drawn to your message and the way you do it, and others not, but they might turn around and be drawn to somebody who's teaching almost the same kind of things, and they're drawn, and it, it, so it's all fantastic. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. Well, I got to ask this. It's changed our lives. Sure. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Marty, have you ever seen The Matrix? I have. It's been okay. a while, but I have. All right. So, do, do you remember the part where Neo's sitting in that chair, and Tank is loading up a program, and Neo kind of goes, clink, 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 and all of a sudden, he turns around and says, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> I, I can, yes, I vaguely remember, remember this. Yes, okay, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like they downloaded this stuff into his brain, and the next thing you know, he, he was a master at it, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, so I want you to keep that kind of vision in your head. This, uh, this is the question. Just imagine that you could do a similar kind of thing. You know, you're at- attaching somebody to a machine, something like that, and what you're trying to do is instead of somebody, uh, we want people to go listen to all your episodes. Don't take this wrong. But you want somebody to receive the full impartation of Bema discipleship right there in a chair. Who is the person that you're aiming at? And and what is it that they would receive? If you could boil it down to just this sentence or two or minute or two or whatever it is, if you could do it magically like that, what would that look like? What would it be? So that's where campus ministry comes back full circle for me, because what I really believe um, is that if you if you really do want to change the world, if you want to start social movements, like there's enough psychology and social movement theory out there, we kind of know how these things have operated. You need to work with children, youth, and young adults. Um, you need to shape that paradigm in that worldview. You need to equip them to see their potential. Um, and I think the timing now is fantastic with Generation Z. I really think they're one of the greatest generations we've ever seen. Uh, don't get me going on that. It's a whole other podcast. But nevertheless, um, I would work with that demographic. I would tell them if I could download something, it would be the ability to see the kingdom and the place of discipleship within that. And when I say that, I mean that within the context of their vocation. So that's kind of the heart of where Impact's trying to go. That's our next big frontier. That's true for Bema as well. We're trying to create this world where college students that are being trained for accounting, college students that are being trained for engineering, college students are going to be stay-at-home moms, college students are going to be artists, college students are going to be business um, uh, owners of businesses, and those. We want them to understand why why work, why vocation itself is holy and sacred, and about kingdom, about bringing shalom crashing into chaos about restoring tikkun olam to put it in jewish terms the repairing of the world so if i could download that with with the context of discipleship and the ability to go mentor other people and doing that which is why it's not just about college students because if you hear that and you're like oh so the podcast is really just about college students no because i need anybody to go find some 20 something young adult and grab yeah. them by the shoulders and understand kingdom and tell them why their life matters and how to make disciples. We're going to need everybody involved in this. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, it's uh, it's often going to be that group of students that are still shaping themselves, are still making decisions about what kind of mortgage they're going to get and what kind of life they're going to build and what kind of marriage they're going to have and what kind of career and why. Um, a lot of us kind of get stuck for better or for worse in these worlds that we create, and it gets really hard to dismantle them for all kinds of good and bad reasons. But there's a there are these whole generations there. Um, yeah that are shaping all those decisions right now. And, and they'll be the ones that run businesses. They'll be the ones that create new technologies. They'll be, they'll be the ones that shape policy and politics. They'll, they'll be it. Um, it. If we're going to bring kingdom to earth, it's going to be through them. So that, that would be my, if I could do something by clicking a button, yeah. it would be mentoring and inspiring a whole generation of college students uh, to go make a difference in their vocation and teach other people to do the same thing for the rest mm -hmm. of eternity. And now we know Kung Fu. Ah, love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Samuel, bring us home. Yeah. Uh, Marty, you've kind of skirted around this question I'm about to ask a little bit, but in life, like how we as people live on after we're gone and how like, God and his values continue to live on after we're gone is by, you know, you can see it in discipleship, you can see it in having kids and raising them, but it's this whole concept of leaving a legacy. Uh, it could be for Bema, it could be for impact. Um, what is the legacy that either you feel like God is asking you to leave or maybe something within your own humanness that you're wanting to push towards? Uh, with your present and your future listeners, like what what type of legacy after you're gone do you hope that those two things that you're involved with will continue to be about? Um, well, that's a good way to phrase that question. If, some of it would be related to what I just talked about with the last question, but if mm -hmm. I was going to spread out my answer a little bit, um, spoiler alert for you two: when you get to session five at the end, and we cap up, we cap off our body of work. Um, we talk about four pillars, the four pillars of Bema. Like if you were to take all the work of Bema and sum it up in four big themes and four big ideas, what would they be? And we talk about the text. We talk about community. And by that, we mean radical fellowship with people you don't agree with, because that's what the Eucharist is all about. Mm -hmm. So not radical fellowship with people you agree with. Anybody can do that, Jesus said. Yeah. I want radical fellowship with people you don't agree with. Um, so that's community. And then third is discipleship which goes back to what I just talked about with college students and everything else. And then fourth is uh, uh, just the concept of wrestling. To quit in the Western world, try try to get it all hemmed up, and like wrestling is always going to be a part of the dynamic kingdom. It's never going to be solved. It's always going to be a tension of what does the gospel look like here? What does the gospel look like now? What does the gospel look like for them? And so wrestling is the fourth thing. If we had a legacy— it would be that somehow that continues or maybe even is better after we're gone. I'll tell you what, I failed in Bema 1.0 because when we go into the podcast and I took on a new job and I stopped doing discussion groups, I had, I had 150 people in a discussion group. Um, I left and there are no discussion groups active. That's not true. There's one. But they all disappeared, which is not a failure on them. It's a failure on me because whatever I built 
was centered around my presence and my personality and my celebrity, and that's no good. So hopefully I'm learning from that and doing something better. And so right now we're trying to expand the team. We're going to try to pay some more people. We're going to try to get some volunteers, but we're going to try to widen the Bayma team out on every level, but even the teaching level, so that it's not just Marty and Brent. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be a massive mutiny and revolt. Hopefully not. We're going to add some new voices, um, uh, some men and women that will, if I were to leave for whatever reason, like hopefully Bayma would actually get better because Marty was out of the way. Like Marty taught us all this stuff, but it's really about Jesus anyway. And we, we actually know where to take this and Marty's not here to tell us no. And it would be like, hopefully it would be even, I hope that's my legacy that there'd be more text. There'd be better community. There'd be more discipleship. Um, and we'd all be like, we'd all, we'd, we'd lean into wrestling rather than run away from it. Um, if we, if we had that kind of impact on the kingdom, I'd count that as a win. So would I. Yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Paul, anything else you'd like to, any burning questions before we let Marty get closer to his Shabbat? Uh, well, you know what, Marty, how about you go ahead and uh, tell people the way that you would like them to find you, contact you, interact with you, that kind of thing. Give them the rundown of who and where you are, how they find you. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, they can find the main site is what you've already listed, com. That's B-E-M-A, discipleship.com. That's kind of our main site. If you wanted something more specific to me and just kind of all things Marty, go to martysolomon.com. Um, that will kind of link you to my YouTube accounts, my social media accounts, which if you really wanted to help me, there is rumors about a book. Uh, I'm working with a book agent. We're trying to get a book picked up this summer. And one of the things that they would like to see is a better social media presence. So if you want to go follow my accounts, that can help me out. Um, and then, uh, and then impact campus ministries.com, uh, impact would be another URL. If it's easier to remember, uh, impact gets you to our larger organizational, site but yeah that that would get you connected to all things me and from there who knows who knows what god wants to do but there there you go that's that's the that's the skinny awesome marty thank you again for taking the time to speak with us i think that you gifted paul and i and then anybody who's listening to this episode with being able to know you a little bit better. Um, and I think that anyone who stumbles upon this episode is going to be gifted with knowing the personal Marty, maybe more than what people are aware within your content and your, your ministry. So thank you for being vulnerable and transparent and honest. Uh, it means so much. To you da, you said. I like it. It's, it's a good way to do it. This was so enjoyable. I can't even express. It's really good. Thank you, Marty. Absolutely, you too. I'll say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Paul, ready to get out of here? Yeah. I, I, we always have to stop somewhere, so I think we do it right now. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you are notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. We also really love it if you would leave a rating and a review so that you can let us know how this content is impacting your life. We're available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. 
And finally, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray and hope that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.